Hello and welcome to Piddling with Poddling, the Walker Division podcast. Walker Division, women of a certain age, not fast, not stylish. Just out there. This is number five. Five? Absolutely five. I have no idea how we've got this far, but we have. And hopefully this one will be a bit shorter than our last one. Although it was very informative, it did go on a little bit. But Nick can talk. Nick talked more than we can. I'm impressed. Although you say that... Today, we're going to talk to Hannah about... (gasps) That sounds exciting. Well, you would say that. You're slightly biased. But anyway, we're going to talk about the actual book that Han wrote, which is The Pennine Bridal Way. Um, So this isn't going to be me interviewing Hannah and her coming up with some really stupid suggestions and me going, no, that's not what you're supposed to say. You're supposed to say... No, anyway. <laughs> so we've already got off the, off the subject. It's my, my book, my book. I wrote it. So we'll start, we'll start with the very first question. So why the Pennine Bridal Way? Why not? It's a jolly good ride and there is no full guidebook to it. In fact, there never has been since it opened. And I was talking to Vertebrate in an interview for a job that John did not give me. But never mind, we've both moved on from that. I was talking to John and I, I mentioned the fact that there is no guidebook little knowing that they would go oh do you want to write it for us then oh yes indeed i would because it is an interesting route and it goes through some jolly jolly interesting places what you can read about if you get the book what you can read about what you can read about yeah so how uh, how long was the route how long was it yeah because you got this wrong in another it interview. is it is 268 kilometers which is in in real money 160 something miles i think uh, okay that's, so that's if you go from the start to the finish up the eastern side of the mary townley loop so the mary townley loop as well is separate but inclusive and that's another extra 40 miles it's 47 i think okay all right settle loop is 10 miles uh-huh and we have put in a bonus loop at the bottom called charlie's loop yeah and that is 28 kilometres, 17 and a half miles. That's 17 and a half Nick Craig miles. Yeah, which is a little bit... Challenging. Yeah. It's not an easy ride. It's not an easy ride, although Nick made it look really easy. And Charlie, his uh, his son, also made it look easy when he rode it. Now, we'll come on to this a bit later about Charlie and Nick, because Nick is a really good friend of Hans now. She's met him once, and he did comment on the fact how well she rode her bike while I was at the back, sort of um, huffing and puffing. with all. The, well, no, actually, I didn't have all the camera gear. No, you'd given the camera gear to Nick. Yeah. And anyway, he still didn't slow him down. <laughs> we'll come back to this one anyway, because it's an interesting story. The thing with the book, though, you actually wrote it through when the pandemic was a its height didn't it how did that go uh it was it was interesting so it was a case of researching the stories about a particular bit of trail waiting for the pandemic to loosen enough that i could dash out and ride a bit originally i was going to do a lot more with other people i was going to do a lot more sort of actual trail riding bike packing that didn't work so that's why the one of the reasons the photographs are mostly just of me billy no mates it didn't really help either that your photographer who just happened to be me wasn't actually able to ride too well at the start of it all either. No, that was that was a slight hampering, but never mind. It meant I could ride the, let's say, the less scenic parts of the trail without you and then take you back to show you the really good bits. Yes, so. which, which seemed to work quite well. I mean, you did ride a majority of the trail, didn't you? Yes, and, and the bits I didn't ride, I walked. Uh, apart from the tiny bit of the Mary Townley loop where we bummed a ride in the Rangers Land Rover. Well, which was fair, to be honest. So, yeah. 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 Out of all of that, which was your favourite bit? Apart from the Nick Craig one, which we'll come back to, you can't say that. One. I do, I, but I do like that that bit going down to Hayfield. That 
the track that goes from Russia Edge down to Hayfield is awesome. It's an awesome bit of riding. Was that the bit, though, where you were actually chasing Nick Craig down that and then did, talking to yourself about how maybe you shouldn't be trying to do that at your age? Uh, no, that was the, the, the end bit of Charlie's Loop, which is, is in the same area, but the end bit of Charlie's Loop isn't actually on the bridleway. But yes, that was fun, just chasing Nick Craig down there. Do you want me to tell you what was going through my head? Yes. So you know what it's like when somebody's ahead of you on the trail and you're thinking, right, just get an extra pedal stroke in. Come on, keep up with them, keep up with them. Come on, put a bit more effort in. And the other side of your head's going, hang on, he's on his local trails, he knows this. You've never ridden this trail before. He knows this trail and you don't. B, he's on a full sus. I'm on a hardtail, therefore there's quite a difference in mechanical traction and sticking to the actual ground. And C... It's Nick fucking Craig you're following. He's an Olympian for all of. Yeah, yes, is the original side of your head. Just put another pedal stroke in. It seemed to work, though. If you don't know Nick Craig, he is the nicest man in mountain biking. Don't Google him, for heaven's sake. Yeah. You don't um, know who he is. He's been on the scene for absolutely ages. He's dominated racing for most of the age groups he's been in. Yeah, he's he's justly one of the good guys in the uh, in the industry and the sport, to be honest. And he can ride anything. He can ride anything really nicely. He's lovely to watch riding because he's so smooth. Yeah. And you think why why can't I ride up that thing like Nick Craig? And then you have a go and you go, crikey, that's harder than it looks. Yeah, he's he's an all round good guy, but unfortunately, do you think we've got him blushing yet? Ah, uh, hopefully, he's the housewife's choice, isn't he? Really. <laughs> But unfortunately, um, in 2017, his youngest son, Charlie, unfortunately went to bed and then didn't wake up. He was only 15 and a promising cyclist in his own right. So we felt it fitting that we should uh, include Charlie's loop so people could use that loop to to enjoy the ride that he enjoyed, but also to go and visit the Ken, which his um, parents have uh, set up for him on the hillside. And it's a really nice ride, actually, that, that Nick set up. It's It's a classic dark peak ride sort of an all day challenging ride it does use part of the Pennine Bridleway and um, has got these awesome bits in that, that Nick and Charlie used to really enjoy riding and we also got asked Nick if he would sort of do a commentary on the ride and tell us a little bit about how Charlie Charlie's favourite bits how Charlie used to to ride it and the bits that he really really enjoyed um, so that's probably the most moving bit in the book. If you can have a moving bit in a mountain gu- bike guidebook, then we've got it in this one. Um, well, I was going to say, because it also um, it highlights the work that Sarah and Nick do as far as the um, the Ride for Charlie Foundation, which encourages youngsters to um, to carry on with their mountain bike dreams. sort of. Yeah, and, and cross dreams, and, and they, they support uh, a number of riders to go and race abroad and that sort of, well, normally go and race abroad and that sort of thing. So it's a very interesting way of, of kind of repaying some of the love they felt they got when, when Charlie did pass. Yeah, yeah. So I was saying about um, uh, um, the actual moving part of the guidebook, it's not just a guidebook though, is it? Oh no, it's not. It's more than that. I, see, I want, when I like a guide, what I like about guidebooks is something that tells me little interesting snippets about where I am. I want some stories. I want to be drawn into the landscape. I want to know what I'm, I'm looking at. Uh, frankly, a set of directions is a bit meh. You know, it, it's not, it's not inspiring really. So I got uh, to looking at all the various bits of pieces along the the trail 
There was a lot of arm waving. And there a was lot a pointing. lot of arm waving. I'm yeah. trying not to arm my wa- arm my waves right now. My arms are not waving. It's very restrained of you at the moment. If you could see this, there is a lot of arm waving going on, and I'm ducking quite a lot at the moment. Um, yeah, but there's so many, there's so many good stories, and there's so good, many good little snippets and bits and pieces. So the guidebook's kind of split into a chunk about the directions, and then a chunk about something slightly more interesting than left, right, straight on. Because it's encouraging people to think more about the journey rather than just the destination. Yeah, um, get your head up. It's not arse up, head down kind of riding this. It's have a have a nosy around, take some take some time to have a good look around you and see see what's been there and what is there now. Because there's all the fun about bike packing though, isn't it? It's all about going out and enjoying your surroundings and riding the bike and just taking it all in. And the idea, and with the book as well, you can use it as a um, head down, arse up if you want to and try and see how fast you can do it. Or you can take the guidebook with you and go and look at all the really interesting bits along the way. There are quite a few. I could have written so many more, but we wanted it just to be in one volume. There was an encyclopedia being planned, wasn't there, at one point? Yeah. <laughs> it could quite easily have been. I keep finding extra little bits as well and thinking, oh, that could have been in the book. There's quite a lot of quite a lot of railways in there as well, isn't there? Yes. Well, the first 15 miles of the trail are actually along the High Peak Railway, so... Well, which it's not a railway now, it's a bike trail, uh, which is quite a bonkers, bizarre kind of railway to build anyway. So, uh, yeah, we put some stories in about that. I was say it's quite convenient, isn't it? Because in a former life, you used to work at the Railway Museum in York, didn't you? I did, yes. And, it, and it's left its scars. I was there for about 11 years and it's, it's left quite a few deep scars, especially because it was in the department that was responsible for telling stories to visitors about railways, which can be incredibly boring and full of statistics and... I think you'll find the stroke on this cylinder is a quarter of an inch longer than the previous design. And we'll not even mention the fact that about black fives and sort of Oh, like... black fives. I do like a black five. Do you? I, I do think like you a black five. I thought you were all diesel. Well, I, yeah, if I've got to go for steam, if I've got to go for steam, it's a black five. That's good yeah. to know, right. Awesome things. 842 of them built. Such a good design that they carried on into British Railway, so post 48. Excellent engines, and if you can't get one to do what you want, stick another one on with it. Fortunately, the book doesn't dwell on railways. There's, I mean, there's some interesting bits about the, the use of railways and um, also embankments that were built back in the early days. There's a fantastic piece up on Middleton Top, isn't there? Oh, there is. So at Middleton Top, you've got where the trail actually starts. You've got the winding engine house. So the peak, High Peak Railway was built up on a plateau, and to get the locos and the wagons and everything up there they literally had to be dragged so a common technique if you had a gradient too steam for a loco to get up was to literally drag it up on a piece of string so you'd have a winding engine at the top which would use steam to turn a big drum around which you've got a cable or a rope clip the rope to the wagons and literally wind them up hence they're called winding engines and there was several other Okay, this doesn't actually big... mention the embankment I've just mentioned. Though. No, I'm not leading on to it there, because right? the embankment okay. isn't at Middleton, is it? The embankment's at Minninglow, which is an entirely separate area. At this moment in time, she is looking at me and waving her arms. Well, I do expect you have paid slightly more attention to this. I was. Things. It was just winding on. We were going to make this a slightly shorter podcast, but anyway. Can well, we can wind up the stuff about winding engines very quickly. So, you've got a winding engine at Middleton Top. Great place to start a ride. Uh, slightly further on along the track, you've got, um, like Jill said, the embankment at Minninglow. Now you've got a prehistoric monument on the on the horizon, 
yes, thank you. It's exactly there. I think the engine house at middle to top is the third of the engine houses needed to bring the wagons up from Cromford. And you go across this really early designed embankment and you look at it and you think, well, it doesn't look like a railway embankment to me. It's not. It, it, it's not like any of the, the sort of later Victorian embankments in style at all. So it's interesting because this is such an early railway. They're still inventing things as they go along. They're, they're using the technology that they know from the canals and applying it to a railway. Now, in certain places, that goes slightly bizarrely wrong because there's some really, really steep curves. There's an 80-degree bend at Gotham. Mm, that's quite steep. It is quite steep. And, and wagons and trains don't particularly like that bend. They ended up having to put a check rail in it so stuff didn't fall off the rails. That's not needed for cycling, though, is it? No. No. <laughs> no, you just go, oh, this is a bit of a steep bend. What's going on here, then? The other thing that the book mentions quite a lot of, as well as, as, well as railways and the, the route, is also rocks and geology and the different Absolutely. terrain that you ride on. Well, you are basically taking a tour through the Carboniferous. So you start on limestone. And you, you go then through all the sorts of various fault lines and you go through grits and shales and sandstones. So your riding terrain is constantly changing as you go up the trail. Does that to help you with the choice of uh, tyres? Yeah, those ones that you've got on your bike now. They're fantastic tyres. Yeah, go and ride something on that. It's a bit No, like... it does mean that the, the limestone when when damp is, uh, is slippy. If you recall that bit we did with Vicky early on, when we when we we camped at Raven's Tour, we yeah. met her for breakfast. Yeah. Then we rode on that lovely track from Worm Hill, and it was just a little bit damp, a little bit slippy. It my just... back end was sliding around. I don't don't know about you. What, what was the state of your back end? Well, my back end's not very not very good at moving, is it really? To be honest. So. Well, no. But um, <laughs> so joking aside about tyres, you will notice the difference between the limestone and the. Sandstone-y, I remember bits. the limestone when we did the settle loop. Actually, because we rode that on a damp day and that was quite slippy. Yes. 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 So that was... nothing, nothing man-made grips to lime, damp limestone. No, no, ever. No, it was quite tetchy going across that field. What bike would you recommend that I ride the Pennine Bridleway on? What have you got, dear? That's nice. Because I'm spoilt and I have a choice of bikes, I actually rode three different bikes during the course of research. I have a kind of gravelly affair. I have a rigid bike packing bike and I have a very, very, very nice hardtail. If I were going out for a day ride, I'd take the hardtail because it's comfy. It's nice. There are a couple of bits where the gravel bike's absolutely suitable. Again, it depends whether you like your gravel comfy or whether you prefer twitchy bum gravel. Uh, because there are certain, certainly a couple of uh, descents that would be uh, challenging. Because you did your cross bike on one of them and, and that put the fear of God into you a couple of times, didn't it? Mm, yeah, that's what I mean, twitchy bum gravel. Because so you're, yeah. you're not a bad bike rider, are you really? No, I was descending down into Cheedale and, and this is the first big steep descent of the route. Uh, and I knew it wasn't going all that well when uh, a nice young gentleman who was passing by said, Oh, oh, are you all right? <laughs> Which made me laugh at least. Yeah, I was very glad I had disc brakes. Although there was a bit where you were riding with a friend, um, Amy, who fell off going uphill. Yeah, it was um, Roy Clough was that, and she was clearly a little bit tired and, and decided to have a little sit down. Uh, it was one of those, neither of us knew how she'd fallen off, but there she was suddenly on her bum. So You have a lot of riding companions who do that, don't you? Me especially. Yeah, it's just part of riding, isn't it? It gets very tiring some days. And on that day, Amy... We were trying to do it one way because I didn't want to ride it backwards and forwards, except Amy being peculiar 
um, a bit of an endurance beast, had ridden to meet me, and then we rode back. So she was probably a little bit more tired than me. Part of the research we do in the Pennine Bridal Way meant that you got to stop at a few B&Bs along the way, didn't you? Mm. Any that are memorable? Oh, certainly, yes. Would you like me to describe them? Any of them that you're going to mention? <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Because of covid Again, it was a bit tricky getting away sometimes. And one of the bits where we could get away, we dashed off to Malastang. And so I was looking for somewhere to stay. And there is a vegan B&B at Garsdale Head. Bang on the trail. Really useful. So we'd, me and Jules, have booked there for a couple of nights. We were like, mm, it's vegan. Mm, it might be a bit worthy in terms of food. No, this woman can feed. She's absolute feeder really lovely woman yeah she couldn't do enough for us and she couldn't give us enough food either well, no no she did give us enough food let me get about let me get that straight <laughs> she did give us enough food we ended up bringing the second night's tea home for yeah. for another night's tea but it was lovely and yeah. i mean I, I i do i am a vegetarian and i do quite like my vegan food the hand does like quite Would a lot you of like meat. A, a meat pie but even she was quite impressed with um, yeah, the food was... and and how well filled we were doing the rides we certainly were you're not going to mention the chickpeas are you no, no. I've okay. tried to. Uh, I've tried to sort of like forget about chickpeas. Though yeah. Han is now banned from eating chickpeas ever. These were these were curried chickpeas, and it was a really nice chickpea curry. But it, um, yeah, I nearly had to sleep outside. Let's put it that way. But anyway, yeah, Linda. Uh, it's called Goats and Oats. It's at Garsdale Head next to the pub. Really, really good and very friendly, very welcoming. Really happy to look after your bikes and all that kind of stuff. And to be honest, it's a great it's a great stopping off point for what would probably be the um, the last push of the Pennine Bridalway, wouldn't it? Well, it, tends, it tends to peter out at Kirby Stevens, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a bit odd, is the ending. It's funny because it, it's not finished, is the, the Pennine Bridalway. There was always always plans to make it longer, always plans to get it up to sort of Northumbria, but there's no money. As usual, there's no money for these things, so it kind of it lops over the end of Wild Boar Fell and then hits the road and stops. That's it. It's a kind of a bit of a wet farm and ending, really. Um, not even a chip shop at the end, is there? No. No, no. you can get a decent pie or anything. No. There's a pub just up the road and you can get into Kirby Stephen relatively easily. And, and Kirby Stephen has a railway station at least. But no, it's a, it's a very peculiar ending. It's quite unsatisfactory in many ways. Hopefully somebody will give it funding eventually. It'll be good. We talked earlier about how, what, was, what was the best bit, the most memorable bit. What was I didn't one? finish that question either. Did you not? Oh, no, that was one of my favourite bits. Uh, well, we could go on. I was going to say, what's your worst bit of memory? What's the memory of the worst part? The Fields of Doom. Ah, oh, the Fields of Doom. The Fields of Doom. <laughs> yeah, we're never going to forget the Fields of Doom. No, we rode this, so you don't have to. Yeah. It's not in so... the book. <laughs> it is in the book. Is it? Uh, yeah, and I suggest a way around it. Because oh. it's the official route. So I have described the official route of the Pennine Bridleway as it goes across the Craven Valley. So this is this is Lowland Ribble Valley, and in places they had to create new rights of way. This is one of the places they created new rights of way. And it's it's across a field. So the, it's waymarked, but there is no track. It's grim. And the field's got this really odd texture to it, like kind of just lumpy, horrible. Frankly, if I wanted to ride lumpy grass, I'd ride, race cyclocross. <laughs> It would be more enjoyable, to be It would be more enjoyable. Yeah. And we battled across this field in the lowest gear possible. There was a nice tree at the end of it. There was a nice tree at the end of it, and that was all we could say. Yeah. So if you look at the map round Paythorn, you can go round by road. And if I were touring, if I were doing the whole thing as a bikepacking, I would not be going across the fields of doom. No. Because that 
We did that on Leyden. I mean, you can go across it if you want, if you really, really want to, to find out what all the fuss is about. And I'm sure it's fine on a horse, because the mm. horse will just be walking across the field, and horses are good at that sort of thing. Yeah, but Riding fully laden just, on a bike, oh, no. No. Just it's, don't do it to yourself. No, never doing that again. So that was that was the worst bit. After that, though, there's a long climb out of Long Preston, and you get, if the weather's good, you get stunning views back across where you've been. I mean, that's, I suppose that going across the Ribble Valley, you do get views of what's to come. You start to get the cracking views of the Three Peaks and the Yorkshire Dales, and you can see that the rock is changing yet again. So that's, you know, that's a small... Doing that laden and in the pissing rain would just be... Oh. Soul-destroying. You'd probably yeah. want to give up when you get to Long Preston, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. and get a, get a bus home. The great thing about the Pennine Bridleway is not only it follows old railway lines and disused pack horse trails, but also Roman roads. Oh, yes, Roman roads. It crosses, oh, I'm trying to remember now whether it's five or six that are definitely there, and one that is definitely not a Roman road. We'll come to that in a minute. Yeah, okay. And we've got a cracking little uh, fort at Castleshore. A fort and a fortlet at Castleshore. Which you wouldn't know about unless somebody told you about because it is tucked away at the bottom of the uh, of the reservoirs. When you look back, when you get to the top of Lowgate Farm Road, you can't really see it, but it's actually worth going to see because there is, you know, it's quite an interesting little feature. It is, yeah, and it was guarding the route that went over Stanage because it was an important communication route and you can see the, how many people have tried building roads and stuff over there and if you're a railway or a canal you go under the hillside uh, but yeah it's a cracking little fort well worth stopping off and having a nosy castle shore themselves do have a really informative website so you can look it up before you go and some information boards there on the on the site itself uh, and of course there's a road site on there so you cross the roman road at the end of the at the end of the fort site and if you know where you're looking and peer up at the skyline, you can see the cut that they made through the millstone grit to get the road over the moorland. Jules is nodding at me at this point because we went to look at this. We did. It was very. It was, she was very excited, and I was like, "Meh." Um, <laughs> there's this whole actual chunk missing out of the uh, gritstone edge. Apparently, it was a Roman road. Yeah, it to was. Me, it just looked like a meh. And it's quite interesting because the Roman road at that point had been kind of double track. This is proper willy-waving, showing off in the land, showing to people, now you're in charge now, look look what amazing roads we can build and you can't. And then it has to go down to single track to get over the moorland through this gritstone edge. Whereas I was more impressed with the Roman road that we rode up from Ribblehead. Oh, Cam. Cam High Road, yes. Now this is the road that comes out of Bainbridge and goes towards Ingleton. It's been so well engineered. It is such a good line. Everybody else has been using it for the last 2,000 years. The turnpike followed it without deviation. The bit coming up from Gearstones now is used currently by uh, forestry wagons. But it's absolutely awesome. Stunning. And you remember that bit of bedrock we rode across on that um, bikepacking trip we did yes. on Halls? Yeah. Yeah, that could be, possibly, the original surface. Oh. That they just went down to bedrock. So all of this information and a lot more is available in the book. It is. Would you like me to tell you about the Roman road that definitely isn't a Roman road? Go on then. Right, so Blackstone Edge, um, Pennine Bridle Way goes under Blackstone Edge, the Pennine Way goes along the top of it. Now, if uh, you are from Lancashire, you are told that the straight road going up Blackstone Edge is Roman. Everybody knows this. and It's one of those rites of passage in Lancashire that you're told this is, is Roman. This is absolute rubbish. It is definitively not a Roman road. It's one of the early turnpikes. There's probably an early pack horse trail over there. 
but it is not Roman. I am so sorry. There is a Roman road in the vicinity. They just haven't quite worked out because the LIDAR doesn't go far enough yet. They haven't quite worked out where it is, but it's not the line that you can see. So as you can see, the guidebook isn't just for mountain bikers and people who, who, who want to ride horses. Is it, there's something in it for everybody. Now, if you want to get a copy of this, it's available from Vertebrate Publishing Direct. And uh, if you order it from them directly, vpublishing.co.uk, I think, is the web address. If you order it direct from them, it's 20% off and free postage. Plus, you can have a good browse all the other titles. Plus, the fact, it might get a signed copy as well. Oh, that's true. Yeah, we did a load of signed copies, didn't you? Uh, and if not, if you really want a signed copy, you'll have to meet up with me. You know, give me, feed me a meat pie and I'll sign your book for you. But if you didn't want to get it from Vertebrae, it's available to general release? It's available on general release on the 6th of May. Fantastic. That sounds like really good fun. And I'm looking forward to reading it. Oh, hang on, I have read it. Yeah, I've read it. Yeah. <laughs> no, you flick through and gone, oh, photographs aren't bad. Oh, yeah. No, I have to say, the photographs really do complement the book. Because if I take photographs, you wouldn't want to go anywhere at these places. You'd just be thinking, well, there's somewhere to avoid. So Jules manages to um, sort of turn my arm waving into something that actually looks attractive. Yeah, well, um, it, it, it's, it's fun because I didn't know what I was letting myself in for at the time. And, and I discovered loads of fantastic things like Crag Quarry, which was a revelation, mm. especially as I took the drone up there and it just unveiled a fantastic industrial landscape that I just didn't know existed. There are some really, really cool industrial remains along there. Uh, they're not all modern either. They're, there's some medieval stuff as well some really really interesting bits and you found out about the charge of the heavy brigade i did i didn't even know there was a heavy brigade everybody knows about the light brigade but who yeah. knew there was a heavy brigade that was actually successful well that's why we don't know about them because uh. we're all british you see we like a we like a failure you know a, a heroic oh utterly stupid ma- military maneuver while celebrating well-known poetry the charge of the heavy brigade just didn't get as much traction at all. I know. I was... But the bloke who led it is buried in the church at um, at home on the Mary Townley loop. It is fascinating. I learned so much while I was doing this with Han, and I I bore people rigid now with coming out with these little tales. And if you want to do the same, get yourself a copy of the book, which so which is out now. So my final question really has to be. Is there anything else in the pipeline? Oh, yes, there is. Is there? Yes, wow. there is. Very exciting. Yep. Exciting news. So, in 2008, Vertebrate published a sort of a reference guide to all the trail centres in the UK. Okay. Obviously, 2008 is quite a long time ago, and a lot of things have changed with trail centres. So, the next thing is, we're going to update it. Fantastic. Does all that of it. mean you're going to ride all the trail centres in the UK? Uh, we're going to have a good go at it. Uh, which is completely slightly terrifying slightly terrifying but also completely different riding from what I normally do so I'm really excited to do something really really new because I very rarely go to trail centres is that why you've dug out the knee pads? yeah yeah well given I fell off in a, in a wood recently and, and scuffed my knee I thought uh, knee pads might be an answer or a, at least part of the solution to, to go and bombing around trail centres so that's quite exciting because it's ho- very exciting hopefully we're coming out the other side of the pandemic so it'll be something to look forward to will there be any interesting bits and pieces in it a bit like the Pennine Bridal Way or is it just no we're be- trying to keep it to, to kind of um, one volume one volume again yeah but who knows I, I, I may do some sort of blog entries on our website and, and put some interesting bits and pieces on there 
because nobody can hold me back from writing the interesting bits and pieces. Oh, that's true. Nobody so there's going to be can. interesting things about the actual riding and, and what colour level of trails, how many trails, you know, the sort of stuff. Can you spend all day there or is it worth popping in if you're in the area, merely? So it's definitely something to keep an eye on on the website and also on the podcast because, of course, there's something we're going to be talking about. Cause... Yeah, I'd really like to talk to some trail managers and discuss how trails are funded, how they're maintained, what we can all do to kind of chip into that payment, whether it's physically exchanging money for riding or whether we go and volunteer for a dig day or, you know, or just try and ride in a sensible fashion when we're at these things, you know, and do all the sensible things like not pooing in the car park and taking your rubbish away uh, and being respectful of other people's work. So I'd quite like to explore some of those themes as well. So when do we expect this to hit the shelves? No idea. As <laughs> soon as it's done. But it's quite a big task. Well, and, and this is such new news that we haven't actually got any dates for it yet. No, but there is a rumour around that you're not actually allowed back into vertebrate publishing for at least a year. For a year, yeah. I've been banned from the office, apparently. Why well, so have you. Oh, yeah, it might have been. Well, um, we might because have it's, a bit because of a it's because they gave us sugar and caffeine and then expected us to behave normally. Mm. Well, we did behave normally. That was the problem. But because they'd given us sugar and caffeine, those donuts were amazing, but they were really quite sugary. Yeah, um, apologise now, but it was really good fun and it was great to meet everybody. But yeah, we're not allowed back in for another year. Apparently not. I'm such a big fat meanie is my publisher. So thanks very much, Han. This has been brought to you by... Hannah. <laughs> oh, by me, yes. Yes, by me talking about my own book out on the 6th of May. It's been brought to you by Bursabrook Publishing, Inspiring Adventure, it, and also from Alpkit, Go Nice Places, Do Good Things, and Schwalbe Tires, who supplied all the rubber for our adventures. Thanks for listening once again, and we'll be back next week for issue six, or even episode Will we? six. Hopefully, well, we, might. we might be out riding. <laughs>